Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Open your Bibles. We are starting a new series and we're going to start in the book of Matthew. It is a holiday series. And so every year I like to try and bring, uh, just look at this, look at the scriptures that talk about the birth of Jesus in a way that doesn't necessarily just stick to a normal uh, Christmas experience. Because the reality is there's so many powerful every day of life truths in the story. Um, we know Jesus is the reason for the season. And so he's the reason for everyday life. And so we find principles, especially in the Christmas story, it reveals God's heart, his great love. So he gave, he gave the Messiah, Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. We'll talk about all that in the upcoming weeks. Um, But I want to look at an aspect of the Christmas story we typically don't focus or highlight on because I really think we're missing some powerful truths there. Now, having said that, one of the things I love most about Christmas is nativity scenes. I love nativity scenes. And so I love how they're depicted. I love live ones. I I love the, the ones that are, you know, that we all buy and we put in our front yard or we have them at home and we have many in our house and we have many for sale in the mission store because every time we go to Mexico, there's, there's these nativity scenes, pewter ones everywhere. Um, the story of Jesus' birth is interesting how it's interpreted through the nativity scenes because they don't always reflect what it really looks like. And that's okay. I don't think that's a negative thing. Um, We're going to talk about the gifts of the wise men though in this series. But my wife and I were in Mexico and we were looking at nativity scenes. And so we were discussing between two, intense fellowship between, we don't argue, it's intense fellowship, right? And so uh, like you saw right here a moment ago. And and so she had them in nativity scenes. She wanted to get, I had a nativity scene. I wanted to get, neither one of us would compromise, give in. So we ended up buying two, but I want to show you what they were because I just think it's fun. So here's Jesse's nativity scene. Beautiful. It really is. You can see the three wise men there, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what she wanted. And, but I didn't. And so we got that. And so here's the one I wanted. Here's the one I brought home. I thought that was, I know, right? That's all. That's awesome. Amazing. And so I love it. And so we brought both of them home, but my point in all that is, um, you know, there's some really powerful truths centered around the story of Jesus' birth that maybe we don't really understand completely. And if we miss it, we skip it, we're missing some really, um, I don't know, uplifting, encouraging uh, truths that I believe God intended for us to know. Um, however, we skip over some things. The truth is the nativity scene isn't a real depiction necessarily of what happened. We know that Jesus was born in a stable. In fact, the stable was more of a cave. It was more of a, a dugout place. And the manger, of course, was a feeding trough. And, and we get all that. And, and to be honest with you, there were not three wise men at the uh, nativity scene, the birth of Jesus. They came much later, scholars believe, uh, well beyond a year, maybe 18 months to two years old. So by the time the wise men came, Jesus basically was a toddler, which is interesting, three wise men bowing down to a toddler, right? That might be interesting, giving them some gifts. And, uh, but I think what God was trying to convey to us from a standpoint of what the three wise men were representing in their gifts is extremely powerful. And I don't want to miss that. So we're going to take the next three weeks looking at each gift. And today I'm going to start with the gift of frankincense. We know it was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I know for some of you that are wired a certain way, that's totally going to mess with you because I'm not going to go in that order, right? Gold, frankincense, and more. Somebody's like, I can't follow along then. I just can't follow along. It's hard to mix it up just to say it a different way. But a couple weeks ago, no, it's actually a couple months ago, just one more funny thing. My brother sent me this cartoon um, and it was just so funny to me, and I didn't intend to use it until last night because I just started laughing about it. I don't know if you'll find it humorous, but you know, when we say frankincense, the first thing, the first word that really pops into our mind is 
All right, so my brother sent me this cartoon. It was really funny, right? We picked up the golden myrrh, but what on earth is that, right? It just, to me, was funny. And so we're going to try, now that I set that in your mind, every time I say frankincense, you're going to struggle for a moment. But anyways, we'll push through and we'll find really the true meaning of what I believe God meant when he had these gifts brought to Jesus at the nativity. And so, um, you know, one thing we do know about the three wise men, we don't believe that they were present in the moment. Um, we believe that they came much later. They traveled 900 miles, in fact, if you were to do the study on it, and I've done some of that. They traveled 900 miles, which would be not, uh, modern-day Iran or Persia, walking. And so by the time the star had shone in the sky, we know the shepherds were in close proximity, but it took quite some time for the wise men to arrive. And again, that's why many scholars believe that Jesus could have been as much as 18 months old at the time. But nonetheless, I think it's important to note that on their very long journey, they were persistent and diligent to still come to the newborn or a year and a half old king and bring their gifts, I believe, because of the significance God wanted to be expressed to mankind. And you'll see as we study that out. We do also know that they were very highly educated men. They were not moved easily um, by just things and happenstance and stars in the sky. They also knew the prophecies of old. And so they set out on a journey with the intent of worshiping the king and bringing gifts of significance. Now, we say that there's three wise men, three magi or wise men. We don't really know how many there are. We assume that there were three because there were three gifts, but there could have been dozens. We, there could have been many. Um, we just know their three gifts were brought by these men. Um, they came uh, very far. They were wealthy. They brought expensive gifts and they persisted to bring Jesus these gifts. Take a look at Matthew 2, 10 through 11. New Living Translation this morning. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. Interesting, it was no longer the stable. Time had passed. They entered the house and saw the child, not the baby, the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three gifts offered by the wise men. These gifts were not only valuable, valuable at the time, they'd be valuable today, but they were deeply spiritual. And I don't want us to miss that meaning. Uh, Definitely gifts that the family could use, but also express something greater. These gifts foreshadowed some images of what Jesus would represent. And they weren't just gifts for Jesus, really. They spoke of the gift God gave to mankind through Jesus. So they weren't just gifts given to Jesus and his family because of who they were. I believe they represented Jesus or God's gift to mankind and what Jesus would represent or the gift to you and I. And each one of these has significance. Now, gold, uh, gold stands for the kingship of Jesus the kingship of Jesus. And we'll talk about that, uh, I believe, the last week. Uh, Frankincense, which we'll talk about today, uh, talks about the priesthood of Jesus, and you'll see that in the message. And myrrh talks about the sacrifice of Jesus or Jesus' sacrificial lamb. And so today we're going to talk about the gift of frankincense, and it was an expensive oil that was used to help heal sickness, uh, treat wounds, help digestion, and really many, many, many other things. I mean, frankincense is used for so many different things. Um, Frankincense was also, and maybe more appropriately in our context today, the oil priests would use during sacrifices in the tabernacle. So a priest would go in and offer a sacrifice, which we'll talk about, and they would burn in in the lamp stand, or in the lamp, they would burn frankincense. That's the only thing they would burn because of its properties and what it represented. And as the smoke would lift to the heavens, if you will, it was as the prayers of the saints being offered. And so um, we'll draw some more Uh, pictures from that as we're talking about Jesus and frankincense. That's why it's believed that frankincense represents the priesthood 
of Jesus because that's the role the priest would take. So to us, Jesus is our high priest. And so in scripture, the priest served a primary role, two, many, two functions, the primary role, two main functions. The priest, understand the priest in the Old Testament was a representative of the people before God. The priest was a representative of the people before God, and the priest made sacrifices, two primary functions. They made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. He would take an innocent animal, would be sacrificed, and it would represent forgiveness for the people's sins. And the priest prayed prayers on behalf of the people to God. So Jesus, our high priest, offered sacrifices for forgiveness and praised prayers for you and I. And so for from the very moment we understand, so we have to go back to the beginning, the very moment in the garden that Eve made her decision, sin entered the world. And now there are two opposing things. There was a, a holy God and there was sinful man, two opposing forces on the earth. From that moment, there's the holiness of God. I want to say it this way, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man to be sorted out. Today, people don't like to talk about sin. Why don't you teach about sin more? Why don't you teach about sin more? People don't want, people don't want to hear that. People don't want to talk about how bad they are, if you will. I know I sin. I know I make mistakes. But the reality today is some people just don't like, well, I don't know if that's really sin. I mean, I just made a mistake, right? I mean, it's just kind of like we cover it over, we smooth it over. And we might say, well, it really didn't affect anybody else, right? I mean, that's just really on me. I mean, that's about me. It doesn't hurt anybody else. Can I tell you, that's one of the biggest lies you could ever believe in your life. It always affects somebody else. But we don't like to talk about it. It's almost like we just kind of just wash away or we've made sin really not, not a big deal anymore. But it is a big deal. Sin's a big deal. There's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And we have to understand those two points because the challenge is we have to understand the reality of sin in order to truly understand the holiness of God. And we need to understand the holiness of God. We need to be thankful for the holiness of God. We, that's the only thing that makes really, not the only thing, but that's the thing that makes God worthy because he's holy. He's a holy God. And if we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. And so if we don't ever understand God is holy, we'll never understand the true cost of sin in our lives and what it costs us. God is holy. The word holy comes from a Greek word meaning separate or set apart. Holy means separate or set apart. Now, what is God? He is separate or set apart. Our God is perfect in every way. We know that the scripture says there's no fault in him, no wrong in him. He is pure. He is flawless. He is perfect. He is separate or set apart. Holiness is not just one of the attributes of God. Holiness is the perfecting of every attribute of God. His love is holy. It is perfect. It's set apart. His grace is holy. It is perfect. It's set apart. His power is holy. It's perfect. It's set apart. So holiness is not just an attribute of God. It really encompasses or completes every attribute of God because everything about God is perfect. He's perfect. It's his holiness that makes him worthy of our praise. See, our God is holy and we're, and we're not not one of us. I don't care how good you are or you know someone that's really, really good. None of us is holy. None of us is perfect. Scripture teaches us that we've all sinned. We all fall short of God's standards. And here's the thing. Sin breaks our intimacy with a holy God. Sin breaks our intimacy with the holy God. That's why God hates sin. You know why God hates sin so much? It's not necessarily because he's holy. That is a part of it because it separates him from us. He hates being separated from the ones he loves and sin disrupts the relationship with God. He hates sin. He doesn't hate the sinner. 
but he hates sin because he hates what it does to the relationship with he and people because he's holy and he's separate. So that's why God hates sin. It's everything he's not. It disrupts our intimacy, his fellowship with us, and separates us from God. Therefore, God hates sin because he loves us. So let's talk about the high priest then again. The high priest in the Old Testament, one time a year, would come and make a sacrifice as a temporary payment for the sin of the people. It was called the Day of Atonement. So one time a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would sacrifice an innocent animal, take the blood, go into the Holy of Holies, and ask for forgiveness for the people. That was the price. It was the blood. And he would sprinkle it or pour it on the mercy seat. And that's how, in that moment, the Day of Atonement happened And that's how forgiveness would be extended. So the priest then would light frankincense and the smoke would rise to heaven representing the people's cry for mercy. And the priest then would would offer the sacrifice, sprinkle the blood, symbolizing the death of an innocent one in place of a guilty one as payment for our sins. So what the high priest would do, he would facilitate the symbolism or, or the symbolic act of shedding innocent blood to pay for those that are guilty. Frankincense would be offered as a cry for mercy from the people unto God. And then after that, the priest would take an innocent goat. How many of you heard the word scapegoat? This is where it comes from. Take an innocent goat and pray and confess the sins of the people on the animal, symbolically transferring the sins onto the goat and then drive the goat into the wilderness, separating the sin or the scapegoat from the people. That's where the word actually comes from. So the first animal was sacrificed by the high priest as payment for sins. The second animal was separated from the people by the high priest. So what we have to understand is that because God is just, because God is just, he must punish sin. He must punish sin. But God is not only just, he is merciful. Amen. And so the sacrifice satisfies God's justice. And at the same time, it extends mercy to those who are guilty. It is a price that is paid, but someone else pays the price for forgiveness of sin. That is a a temporary covering. In that moment, the day of atonement in the Old Testament, that was a temporary covering. They would do it every year under the old covenant, but we're not under the old covenant. Amen. We are not. We're under the new covenant. There's a new and better sacrifice. Let's take a look at Hebrews 10, 10 through 12. That's what I've been building up to at this moment. Hebrews 10, 10 through 12. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, our high priest. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in place of honor at God's right hand. Our high priest, Jesus, became the sacrifice for all time for everyone. Amen. That's good news. That's our high priest, Jesus. Uh, it's it's kind of like this. I, I got my vest on this morning. It's kind of like this. In the day of atonement in the old covenant, the priest would, would basically, what he would do would be good for a year. It would, the sin would still be there in a sense, if you would, but it would be covered. We've got to cover for this year, everybody. But when Jesus, our high priest, became the sacrifice at all, it changed. In fact, the Bible talks about we exchange, we exchange a robe of righteousness. 
that when Jesus, our high priest, and if you could picture this as a, as a, a priestly robe, if you would, this morning, Jesus, our high priest, because of a sacrifice once and for all, it didn't just cover it for a period of time. He covered it for all time. And it's like when God looks at you and I now, he doesn't see us like this. Well, yeah, there's still that sin still there, but, but you did a good job covering it right now. He sees us like this through the sacrifice of Jesus. And the Bible says our crimson sin was made white as snow. And as we saw in Hebrews, because the high priest, Jesus, was the sacrifice for all. So God's, God's, God's justice was satisfied and God's mercy was extended. So what Jesus did is put his robe of righteousness on you and I. And so now when God looks down from heaven, a holy God who separates sin, he sees our sin has been taken care of by the righteousness or sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. Our high priest. When frankincense was brought to the toddler, Jesus, it was God already foreshadowing. It was God prophesying that this is your high priest. He's going to cover sin for all kinds. He's going to take it upon himself. It wasn't just, that's a weird gift, frankincense. What is that about? I mean, right? We burn it in essential oils. Maybe they burn. It's like frankincense represents the purpose and the function of the high priest, that he's the only one that could offer a sacrifice for everyone. Can you just picture that for a moment as these wise men travel for over a year, 900 miles and not giving up and not quitting to go before the the toddler Jesus, if you will, to offer him a gift of frankincense, telling all of us, I don't know if they knew the significance, but telling you and I today that God always had a plan for your redemption. It's not just about the birth of a savior. It's about the birth of the high priest that one day would offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for those who could not. The innocent blood was shed for the guilty so that we could put on his robe of righteousness and we could be covered. So when God looks at us, a holy God that separates himself from sin, he doesn't see the sin in our life. He sees the blood and covering of Jesus that has made you and I white as snow. What a gift. What a gift given I think I put this on inside out, actually. What a gift. Good thing I didn't try and zip it up. What a gift given. I mean, think about that. I mean, we don't lose, don't lose the significance of the three wise men. They just weren't like a little extra figurine so you could, they could sell more for the nativity set, right? We bought them all. I don't know. They were, God was prophesying. He was foreshadowing to all of humanity, the significance of Jesus that was yet to be understood. We can look back now and he was saying, I'm a holy God and my justice has to be satisfied, but my mercy can be extended and it's all in the high priest of Jesus. The baby became flesh or the the savior became flesh on the earth, but one day would grow to be the sacrifice for humanity. And he always intended that. I mean, think about our God, how he thinks about you. Do you realize that in the gift of the 900 miles that those wise men, if I could put it in this context, were traveling day after day, that you were not on their mind, but you were on God's mind? Every step they took was one step closer to your redemption, to the innocent blood of Jesus to be that sacrifice one day they were coming to honor that. And I, I'm amazed at how God has always thinks about us. We're always on his mind. He's constantly thinking about you and I, even in our sin, he's found a way to bridge the gap between the holiness and sinfulness. And it's through the blood of Jesus, our high priest. It's amazing to me. Our God is so good. Isaiah says this, I didn't put it in your notes, but 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. I love that. So God extended. Justice was fulfilled, satisfied, and mercy was extended. Jesus is our great high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15 says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, Jesus, our high priest, listen to this, understands our weaknesses, every single weakness. Our high priest is not insensitive or unknowing what you're experiencing in life at any point in time. In fact, the Bible says he understands every weakness for he faced all the same testings we do. Well, he didn't live in this day. He doesn't know. No, in some way, shape or form, he faced every single testing, felt every single thing that you feel, yet he did not sin. That's what makes him the perfect sacrifice. What I love about this is our high priest. It's not someone that cannot relate. Our high priest is not someone who can't sympathize or empathize. Our high priest is not someone who doesn't know who he just doesn't know. I mean, it's 2020. Our high priest technology today, our high priest, our high priest understands. He feels it and he knows it. He knows what you're going through, every detail. It's not, he's not insensitive or uncaring. He understands it all. You need to know that whatever you're going through, Jesus understands. He relates to our trials and sympathizes with our pain. He understands whatever it is you're going through. Let me say it now in the the light of where we are in time, on the timeline of eternity here. He understands exactly what we're feeling today. If you're stressed or overwhelmed, think about Jesus in the garden. You want to talk about stress and overwhelmed when he was praying and he knew what he was going to. He was overwhelmed by the emotion. The Bible says he was sweating great drops of blood. I don't know that any of us have done that in our moments of being overwhelmed, but he has anxiety. He understands anxiety, what that's like. Uh, rejection, he understands rejection. Persecuted, talked about, gossiped about, he understands that. Can you imagine growing up in a community who's, who knows that your mom didn't get together with your dad and you came somewhere else and you're trying to tell him it's God? The scandal of it all, the things that people were talking about, he understands all that. People making things up about him, accusing him of things he never did. He understands what being bullied is. He understands what being tempted by the devil is. Yet he did not sin. He experienced the death of a close friend. He understands grieving. He was was, um, betrayed, betrayed by those closest to him. And, And at the end, he was abandoned by God, his father on a cross. He wasn't, yet he was. And if you'll remember the story, he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Where are you? And in that moment, the holy God had to turn away from the sinfulness of man in that moment. He understands all that. All the feelings and emotions that you and I could understand. God had to look away. Why did God look away? Because God is holy. Jesus, even as he cried out, he understands whatever you feel, he felt. He, you hurt, he understands what that's like. He's our high priest. The Bible says who's experienced all the pain of being in a human body, all the emotions, all the agony of feeling of alone and abandoned. The word became flesh and dwelt among us who Jesus was born. And God sent magi, wise men to offer gifts. Again, prophetically declaring Jesus and his nature to come. Gold, he is our king. Myrrh, he is the suffering sacrifice, the lamb of God. And frankincense, he is our high priest who would sacrifice for our forgiveness of sin and pray for us, the God in heaven. Hebrews 4, 16, last scripture. So 
because of our high priest, because of Jesus. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most, guys, if you'll come out. Because Jesus, our high priest, because representing the frankincense, the gift that was brought, understanding that God prophetically spoke that forth through that gift because of him offering his body as a sacrifice, the innocent for all the guilty, because God looks down upon us now and doesn't see our crimson stain, but sees the righteousness of Jesus on us because he understands everything you're feeling and experiencing, because he knows what you did last night, because he knows every pain, every hurt, because he knows every tear and he's been there because there's nothing you can experience that he hasn't already experienced. He hasn't understand. There's nothing you could do that he hasn't already given his life lovingly, willingly for you because of that we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. We don't have to let guilt and shame separate us. Our sin separates. Jesus took care of our sin. So God looks at us and sees righteousness of Christ. So we can come boldly to him and our hurts and our loss and our pain and our suffering. And we can pour our heart out before a holy God. And the Bible says there and that place that throne of grace before our high priest, before our holy God, there we will receive his mercy. We'll receive what we do not deserve. No matter what you've done, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. (laughs) When we need it most. It seems to me the time that we are most likely to stay away from God as when we've sinned the most. Maybe when we need it the most. What a thought. That the things that you've done that you feel would disqualify you or keep you from God is the time he says you need to come to me the most. The time that we want to run in our shame and our guilt and not let anybody know much less of God who gave his son for us is the time that we need to go before him, not run from him. The time when we think everybody else has given up on us and there's no more hope is the time that we need to come before his throne and just cry out and pour out our hearts out to the one who understands. To the one who understands. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.